because that's exactly where we're headed to Luke 23 to the cross. If you're new with us this morning, we are making our way through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse, chapter by chapter. This morning, we find ourselves, as I have mentioned, at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while you're making your way to Luke 23, where we will pick up at verse 44, I'll ask the Lord for his favor and grace. Now, Heavenly Father, as we consider the most holy text in the scriptures, you, the Lamb of God, the Lord of glory, being crucified for the sins of the world, we ask that these timeless truths that assure our souls of the love of God would be anchored deep within us, not just in our head knowledge, but in the way we live our lives. Impact us, Lord, by your powerful word, your Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a kid, my parents took us on a vacation. One of the places we stopped was the Luray Caverns in Virginia. They're in the Appalachian Mountains, the Shenandoah Valley. I have a slide where we visited. There we descended into a large underground cave, very cold and damp. I don't know if you've ever been to such a place. Very, very breathtaking with the golden columns of the stalac and the stalactites. The beautiful underground spring that looks like just a, a sheet of glass or a mirror. Every sound kind of echoes and cool shapes and colors, very unique. It's like entering into another world down there. Interestingly enough, the part I remember most wasn't what I saw, but what I couldn't see. Toward the end of the tour, the guide advised the parents to gather the children close to them for a demonstration of what it's like with an absence of total light. Now, before this 10-year-old had enough time to figure out what was going on, someone throws a switch, boom, and there's a gasp, and it's dark. It wasn't like under the bed dark. It wasn't like in a closet dark. It wasn't like in a meadow in the country dark. It was a dark that I held my breath through for those five seconds. Now, I'm sure... Thank you for the slide. I'm sure that they no longer do that practice because I'm sure that they've been sued on a few <laughs> occasions <laughs> for child abuse. <laughs> but uh, for sure, I mean, here you got kids who are kind of by nature afraid of the dark. And then, wow, I'm telling you, I remember that as though it were yesterday. Well, this morning in Luke 23... Our text is going to talk about that kind of thick, deep, soul-penetrating darkness, a literal physical darkness that comes upon not just the city, but the face of the world. It's not in an underground cave. It will be above ground at a place called Calvary, and it won't be a human tour guide who throws a switch for a dramatic five-second demonstration, it will be God 
Almighty, who tells the sun to stop shining for three long hours. He's going to unplug the sun, S-U-N, to make the most important statement the world could ever hear. So for those of us joining us without the context, the benefit of a context, I should say, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or should I say God the Son, for we believe that God comes in three persons, one being, one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's three, and they are in agreement. They are one. Modeled, really, we are. After that, in that, we are three body, soul, and spirit, yet we are one. To separate us is to have nobody because you'd be dead. Separate your body from your spirit, you're dead. Separate the Father from the Son, you don't have a God. And so God, the Son, the second person of the Godhead, is upon the cross dying for the sins of the world. Now, last week we saw 9 o'clock, this ordeal started. During the 9 o'clock hour then, Jesus is interceding. His first words were, Father, forgive them. They don't fully realize what they're doing. During that hour, the leaders are sneering. He saved others, but he himself, he cannot save. Of course, the Passover lamb can't save himself because he's saving by merit of his death those in the household. During that hour, the soldiers are gambling, casting lots for Jesus' clothing in a fulfillment of a 1,000-year-old prophecy there in Psalm 22. Now, at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, during the 10 o'clock hour, the crowd is insulting him, and the soldiers are mocking, and they offer him vinegar to drink. The 11 o'clock hour, which we talked about last week, a thief is repenting. Now we see that both had been mocking, as we talked about last week. Both of them had been mocking in the beginning. But Thief A, thank you, Thief A follows the crowd in heaping insults upon the Lord as he languishes and dies there be, uh, right next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thief B, for whatever reason, has a change of heart. He comes to Jesus' defense and rebukes the other thief. He owns his bad behavior and confesses his faith in the Lord and just has a simple sinner's prayer, remember me, save a place for me in that kingdom of yours, Lord Jesus. And Jesus promises not that this day you'll be sleeping with me in soul sleep. He says, no, this day you and me will be in paradise. To be absent from the body as Paul tells us to the Corinthians, is to be present with God. There's no time in between. There's no waiting. Today, this day, at the end of this day, today, you, me, paradise, not sleeping, not waiting. When a believer dies in the presence of the Lord, and that is ratified right there in the scripture that's before all of us this morning. Now, from 11 o'clock, it is 12 o'clock. The sun is rising to its zenith, the brightest and highest point in the sky. It's 12 o'clock, verse 44. It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land 
until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Matthew and Mark tell us, from top to bottom. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. From Psalm 35, 31 rather, verse 5. Verse 47, well, here, when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, the guard, the soldier, the colonel, the captain, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Matthew and Mark have son of God as well, an innocent When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. All right, we'll pause there for this morning's reflection, perfect for communion Sunday, which we do, by the way, the first Sunday of every month. Luke gives us here three miracles associated with the crucifixion. For our consideration and reflection this morning, we're going to talk about three of those miracles. Darkness descending, number one. Number two, the veil tearing. And number three, a soldier repenting. If you're taking notes, darkness descending, the veil tearing, and a soldier repenting. Let's consider, first of all, this descent of darkness, this divine power outage. The scripture says at high noon, the whole land was covered in darkness because the sun stopped shining. John chapter 1 verse 3, by him, referring to Christ, all things were created. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, he, verse 9 rather, he is the image of the invisible God. He is fully God in a human body. Therefore, the creator of all things, Colossians 1, verse 15, says he created all things again. He is the creator of all things, the spoken word, God the Father, present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, speaking. He is the spoken word. He is called the word of God, Jesus is. And so there he is. While the spirit is hovering at creation, the Father is speaking, the word is creating. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. So it's not too hard to imagine that as the one who created the sun is gasping for air to survive, that creation is suffering alongside as well. And so we're going to take a look at this now. Noon, of course, God, God. When the sun should be at its brilliance, he waits until the highest point. When, when there could be no mistaking this, he waits until noon. And then over all the land, over all the earth. Now, the Roman historian writer, Phlegon, says this. In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, There was extraordinary eclipse of the sun, the sixth hour, which is 
ancient time for 12 noon. They started at 6 a.m. The day turned into dark night so that the stars in heaven were seen and there was an earthquake. Secular historians, not just this Roman, but others as well, I could cite to you. Now, it is uh, physically impossible for this to have been a solar eclipse. Solar eclipse lasts for minutes, not for three hours, as I mentioned last week. Also, the full Paschal moon, as it's called, the Passover moon, is on the wrong side of the earth for a solar eclipse. And he tells you right there, for the sun stopped shining. God caused the sun for three straight hours as his son, God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, is dying for the sins of the world. He shuts the lights off. Now, for people who, well, maybe it was a total eclipse, you know what? Who cares how it happened? The Bible says the sun stopped shining, and there's so many, even Christians, who need to, well, maybe, you know, the, the Nile turns red because of the red tide and the red algae, and and a mudslide happened above stream, and that's what it's talking about, you know. And and thank goodness we have a historical record of a big fish swallowing a man who survives the ordeal, because now few we can see. See, Jonah and the whale. It really could happen. We don't need any of that. After Genesis 1-1, who needs anything else? In the beginning, God just speaks and the worlds are. Come on. Do you need something else? Like you can't buy lesser miracles after Genesis 1-1? You always have to find out, oh, well, Mount Vesuvius must have erupted and therefore, or whatever, the Dead Sea, you know, exploded. And that's what happened to Lot's wife. You know what? It says she died. She turned into something that looked like salt. That's all I need to see and hear Amen? Amen? Are you with me? Amen. Go Niners! <laughs> now, you're like, Ross, you're talking about something pretty profound. We are, but you know what? It is the foundation of our joy. It is the foundation of our gospel. Do this in remembrance and celebration of me. So yes, on one hand, tears seriousness and sobriety of the utmost kind and on the other end of that spectrum a joy unspeakable and full of glory that there but the grace of God go I he took that for me he unplugs the sun to say under my son total darkness so that my children will never walk in darkness but have the light of life That's really the meaning. I want to talk about the meaning here. Number one, this miracle of darkness descending, it's a real attention getter. God wants everyone to be saved. Contrary to, you know, public opinion out there that he's always trying to nail us for something or judge us or um, he's not like that. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says, Do I, the Lord, take pleasure in any wicked person dying? No, I don't take pleasure. I would rather that they turn from their ways and live. I'm quoting the scriptures. Turn, turn from your evil way. Why will you die when you don't have to? So the miracle is nobody missed this. This is important. I, <clears throat> do I have your attention? Three hours of utter darkness. Get it? Something important is happening here, world. And I don't want anybody to miss it. That's the heart of God. This is important. Belief in Jesus and his death on the cross as a payment for your sin is a necessary element for eternal life. You know, folks, we can differ and you can differ of opinion about the charismatic gifts. Our tongues for today are not. You can differ about how to baptize. Oh, you need to baptize as an infant or not, or sprinkle. You can differ on that and still be in heaven. You can differ about how you think the end of the world is going to happen. Well, is it going to happen pre, mid, or post the tribulation period? You can differ on that. One thing you cannot differ and be in heaven is on who is that and what is he doing. That's why God says, lights out, everybody pay attention, because this will make or break you for eternity. Who is that? He is the second person of the Godhead. He is not an angel, Jehovah's Witnesses. He is not Michael the Archangel. Mormons, he is not one God of many gods. He is the only God. He is the word of God. Become flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, one God. God the Son. That's who he is. And what is he doing there? He's dying for the sins of the world. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become right with God. That is what's happening there. Second Corinthians chapter 5 was that quote from. And so he makes it pitch black. He throws the switch and he says, Perhaps this will help some of you. And he does that today. I could ask for a show of hands, and I know the sanctuary would be filled. How many of you came? You don't have to raise your hand. You came to the Lord because God threw the switch, turned out the lights, and your life was pitch black. You were suffering when you came to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I did. Almost everybody I know did. It is a rare soul that comes in broad daylight with the birds chirping and money in the bank and full 100% health. It, you are a rare bird indeed. <laughs> the rest of us have to be squashed like a bug until we're half dead. And then our last few breaths, oh God, I'm sorry. And then we come into faith. My dad, I told you about my dad. A nice Jewish man, wrong, a bad Jewish man from Brooklyn, New York. He would tell you that. He's in heaven now. The first one to become a Christian in our family, the Jew from New York. I told him, Dad, this is against your religion. <laughs> and he had a mouthful for me. He didn't come until he was bankrupt. 
The darkness of losing everything. I told you the story is managing a hotel after owning businesses. And he, the, uh, the immigrant who was speaking half English and half another language was ordering my father to jump into the bin, the garbage bin, and press down the garbage in front of the hotel. And my father climbed in the bin, 55 years old, this man who had money all his life, and he's jumping up and down in the garbage bin. And he says in his testimony, that is when I realized there must be a God in heaven. And he turned to God after reading The Late Great Planet Earth, a little book about Bible prophecy that uses a lot of the Old Testament, which he had to have as a child in Hebrew school. It clicked, the light went on. But not until the lights go off. Light has to go off, and that's how I mean, can you imagine some of the reactions here? You know, the impact. Can you imagine the thief that just said the sinner's prayer? Because he did. He just said, he just heard the Lord say, this day you will be in paradise with me. The light goes out. And the thief goes, phew. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my hat is off to that thief. He didn't need the earthquake. He didn't need the sun going out. He could smile and say, I knew it. I knew it in my gut. And boom, you know, just narrowly missing eternal damnation just by whoops, just just a second, you know, eternity. Can you imagine the joy in his heart? It's like, who cares that I'm being crucified? How many more hours could I possibly live today, this day? And then the lights go out and he goes, yes, it's all true. And I am going to paradise. What a glorious three hours of dark. For one man, (laughs) he's like, oh, wow. Proof that he needed that his sins were actually forgiven. You know, uh, I was watching Storm Chasers. You know those demented people? I mean, those scientists (laughs) that go chasing after tornadoes, like trying to get in the path of them, not trying to get out of the path. Well, one, you've probably seen it. Uh, it was a, one of those whoops moments <laughs> where it actually, they're standing there in the middle of the road and they're like, is that getting closer? <laughs> we found it. No, it found you and it's closing fast. <laughs> they get in the car, they're racing away. They're just crazy panicked and they find a concrete overpass. You've seen it because it gets played a lot. They get out of the car. The wind is deafening. They just by the split second, make it up under the little cubby there of concrete. And you hear deafening wind go through. And the, I want to call it a cyclone. Tornado goes right over them. Just seconds from being destroyed. Can you imagine when death, and it will, I'm sorry to be the one to remind you, passes over you? It's headed your way right now. It's closer than it was when we started the service. (laughs) Honestly, don't you hate guys like me? Oh, yeah. I mean, always go, go Packers. Oh, I'm going to (laughs) die. Can you imagine that moment, that second you realize, oh, and you see him and you're there. And it was all true. And you knew it. Oh, 
I can't wait for that. The lights kind of sometimes have to go out. So, yeah, he was pretty impacted. How about Peter, James, and John? Oh, man. Nice. They're hiding somewhere under a bed. Not John, but Peter is. (laughs) But they're thinking, it's true. It was true. Mary, the mom. It was encouraging, wasn't it? Thank you, God. You show the whole world. I wasn't lying. He's not illegitimate. I didn't cheat on Joseph. And now the whole world knows. When that trumpet blows and the Lord parts the clouds, every one of us who have ever breathed God's air and repented will be vindicated. Then everybody will say, aha, now it makes sense. That's why they were that way. Not until, (laughs) not until, but that day when the darkness goes up, actually the light is going to come up. Well, you know, let me put it this way. Do you remember back with the plagues, just like the, um, the plagues that came that preceded the first Passover? There were three days of darkness before the first Passover. And now there are three hours of darkness preceding the real Passover. You see, let me read it to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretches out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Pharaoh (laughs) did not repent. Still. And where's Pilate after all of this? Where are the Jewish Sadducees? They don't repent. Three hours of darkness, an earthquake, the curtain torn in the temple, dead believers raised to life, witnessing in Jerusalem. They don't repent. And I have down here written here that unbelievers like to say to us, what is it about no that you people and your God don't get about us? Please turn out the sun. May the, fall, may the stars fall from the sky. At the end of the world, which this is a prophetic picture of as well, the sun is going to go out again during the tribulation. Let me read it for you. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake and the sun turned black. There it is again. This is a prophetic foreshadowing of the end of the world. But only this time it's not opening a period of grace where you can come. And at the end, it's opening a period of judgment. And you know what? Listen to this. The rest of mankind during the tribulation who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. All the plagues on steroids at the end of the world and they still shake their fists at God. So 
It's not to say no one repents, because they do. But as a whole, the world will say, what about no? Don't you and your people get with us? It's a wonderful mystery and miracle for a soul to soften to God and repent. And so, I love what Riken says. We'll move on. This was the first miracle of the crucifixion in the Gospel of Luke, the darkness of damnation. If you believe in this miracle and understand what it means, then you know that Jesus has suffered the death penalty for you. You are now free from the wrath of God. It closes, the darkness does, with Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something that Luke leaves for Matthew and Mark to tell you. No Christian will ever have abandonment issues because Jesus already soaked all of that up. Second point, Luke passes over the earthquake and the resurrection of some of the uh, dead believers there in Jerusalem to emphasize another great miracle, the the tearing of the, the curtain there. Here's the paraphrase. The curtain, that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, was ripped in two from top to bottom. Now here's a picture, kind of an illustration, of the curtain. The King James word, the Old English, is really misleading for American readers, contemporary, because we picture, of when you say veil, the first thing I think of is a bridal veil. You see, this thing was like, I don't know, 200 Persian rugs matted together. It was four inches thick, 30 feet wide, as I've told you many times, 60 feet high, and it weighed several tons. It took 300 priests to manipulate it, to move it around. So when it says, oh, the veil was torn, everybody's like, so? Oh, excuse me, from top to bottom. Now, how are you going to do that? First of all, how could you do it anyway? Now, what is up with that curtain? Well, it's a divider. For most of you already know this, it's a protective separator between the holy presence of God and you, a wretched, depraved, defiled sinner, somebody who joined the white witch's side back in the garden. You're his kid. You're the daughter of the one who said this to God. I don't care. I'm going with the Lucifer. You're that kid. So he says, "Uh, excuse me, we got to build something to show you folks. You go through this in your state without a payment. You're finished. In fact, Mount Sinai, back where this all started, this concept where God was thundering, He told Moses, here's the line. You go no further. You tell those Jews. You tell my people. Step over the line. You die. And if one of your cows kind of comes over the line, you'll stone that as well. I am holy. You are unholy. Your sins have separated you from me. The basis for my fellowship with you must be holiness. I cannot have oneness with somebody who who takes side with the devil, who's thinking nasty thoughts, even in church. Who are you people? You can't just come in here. You can't go 10, 15 minutes without defiling yourself with something you say or do or think. Stay out or die. Now, I will make a way for you to come to me. 
And we will talk about it for 1,500 years until the day it really happens and takes it away. Just so you all get it. 1,500 years, one day a year, one of you can meet with me. That's it. One day a year, Yom Kippur, the day, Yom in Hebrew, Kippur, to cover. On Yom Kippur, not just any man, oh, a God-appointed chosen man must come one day a year, and God help you if it's not without perfect animal sacrifice, an unblemished lamb or offering. Bring that blood in, and you will put it on the Ark of the Covenant here. He can come through the curtain. Now he's in the presence. God says, in this Ark, the Ten Commandments, the basis for any kind of relationship with me, moral codes. <laughs> if you want to be in relationship with me, you'll have to be as holy as I am. Therefore, the Ten Commandments are in there, in his presence. Where does the blood go? On the lid to the covenant, which is called the mercy seat, where the angel's eyes are cast down upon. What does that high priest do with the blood? He puts it on top of the broken Ten Commandments, which humans have broken once a year. And then he says, you're at one-ment with me. Atonement is a word that was coined to tell you what it means. Atonement means at one with the person. You see? So now, because there's been payment, you come in with a payment plan. And we're saying, look, we're acknowledging. We are defiled sinners. Here's the payment. It's put upon the moral basis of our relationship with you. And God looks down at that and says, now I can meet with you for another year until you repeat the process all over again. Until I step through one of your sinful wounds, become the man that you should have been, live the perfect life, and then hang on a cross for the payment. And now the high priest Jesus, as Hebrews chapter 9 says, Jesus ascends into not the man-made temple into the holy place. He goes into the heavens, not with blood of a goat or a bull, but with his own blood spilled for payment. He brings that. And now God says, don't need the blood of bulls and goats anymore. Let me show you. And I will tear that curtain down. You're all free to come in now. Payment's been made. Come on in. Not by a bull or a goat or a Passover lamb, but by the second person of the Godhead. Spilled his own blood. Now, the tearing of the veil or just says, have confidence, assurance, you're one if you trust in me. Repent of your sins, the thing that I died for. <laughs> Don't embrace them and think you can scoot in. That would be, yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Turn from the thing that killed me for you. Come in and have peace with me, love and joy. Come to me, anybody after having done anything, the way is clear. That's the meaning of the tearing of the curtain. I've shown this picture before. Uh, uh, President John F. Kennedy, when he was in office, then the most powerful man in the world, 
And that's John Jr. underneath the desk. His decisions affect the entire world. But his first priority, that little boy. Try messing with that little boy. You're messing with the man. And he can play there, right there. He's in the Oval Office, man. He's under the desk. He's under the throne. He's right there, the king, the kid. The message, the picture, the imagery of tearing that curtain says, King's kid, come on in. Paid up. I'm not mad. No more darkness. You can have fellowship with the living God. And please, why don't we take advantage of that? Oh, all of us. And so that is the miracle of the curtain. Lastly, thank you for that. Brings us to the third miracle, perhaps the greatest of all. The sun has stopped shining. The curtain is falling, and the centurion is believing. The centurion was responsible for a hundred soldiers. That's why he's called centurion. There's a hundred in there. He's like a lieutenant colonel or something like that. Now, here's what the text says. When the colonel overseeing the crucifixion took in all these things, he began to praise God. Without a doubt, this man is the innocent son of God. Now, in the dark, someone is seeing the light, as usual. Another point for Team Jesus. Now, the former pagan blaspheming crucifier is now singing the praises of God. I don't know, is he spattered with the blood of these guys? I mean, he's a mess. He's in charge of the whole deal. The scriptures say that prior to this, he was heaping blasphemies and approving everything they were doing to Jesus. And then, you know, he got a clue. So some of us come at different times, but the point is, he softened his heart and he came. The miracle, not a physical one like the sun or the curtain, but a spiritual miracle in which a sinner's heart was transformed by the supernatural power of God. You know, Luke loves this because he starts his gospel saying that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles, meaning not just Israel or the Jews. And here you have the only person who praises God at the crucifixion is a Roman soldier who helped crucify him. His heart is touched. Different reactions always to that cross, the stubbornness of the Jewish leaders. When the soldiers will return to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they will say on on Resurrection Sunday morning, we saw an angel. The tomb, the stone was rolled away. We fell at their feet as dead men. And they said, tell you what we're going to do. We'll let you keep the job. And we'll pay We'll pay money for you to be quiet. We'll keep you from being fired for letting the stone be rolled away. So some people just, they don't, what about no, don't you people get? We don't want to go to your heaven. Please leave us alone. You've got to keep knocking because you never know. There's a few of them that actually say they don't want anything to do, and then they end up like the Roman centurion. So, you know, others beat their chests and they walk away and they just feel bad, but they never do anything about it, you know. But this guy, he sees it, and instead of cursing now, he's praising. Instead of insulting, he's affirming. He's not blaspheming, but he's blessing. 
He's really, I mean, it's time for deeper Christian things will come later. He gets it. He's praising God. What a beautiful sight. That's the miracle. Who else could take the murderous um, Saul and turn him into the greatest missionary that ever lived? Who else could take Mary Magdalene, who was demonized with seven demons, the scriptures say she had? And she's the first witness of the resurrection. Who else can do these things? Let me read to you a passage when the Holy Spirit came through the gospel to the Corinthians. Paul says, hey, don't you guys realize that those who continue to do wrong will not be going to heaven? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, and now here's a literal translation of the word homosexual. In the Greek it means men who have sex with men. That is a better translation than the word homosexual. Homosexuals, no thieves, greedy, drunkard, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's my point about the centurion who turns. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, sanctified, set apart, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, the point of that list isn't what exactly is in it or who's on it. The point is, is that God can change a heart. He can change sexual orientation. He can deal with somebody who has addictions to drugs and alcohol or gambling or whatever else you have because when you come to Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new person. That's where we get the teaching from Christ's own lips. You will become born again from above. Same understanding. Let me close and then we'll take communion and remember this. The miracle of the soldier's conversion um, just got me thinking. And since your minds all went to the one word in the list that I mentioned, to the disregard of all the other words that I've read in the list, the one word that always stands out to a congregation is the H word. Now, let me read this to you, and I'll set it up. It's my favorite thing to read. Some of you have heard me read it. I've been reading it for 20 years. When I was at Bible college, we did an evangelism outreach to Castro Street. We brought Bibles and tracts. We went up and we started talking to a, a young man who was drunk. He was standing in front of a gay bar. And we were talking to him. We said he was interested in the gospel, so we said, come on in and we'll buy you a cup of coffee. We sat down. He told us his life story about his boyfriend and everything. And then I witnessed to him and I shared from a pocket King James Version, little Gideon's pocket Bible. I read Psalm 51 to him. And at the end, it says, and then I will offer a bullock upon thine altar, King James. Well, he was very moved. He said, I, I believe in God. I want this Jesus. I said, well, what happened all of a sudden? He said, my last name is Bullock. 
And so when I read Bullock, he was just undone. It all made sense to him. Now, we never saw him again, obviously. We left the city. We gave him our address. And six months later, we got a letter. It actually went to someone in the group, and I took it from her because I knew I would be reading it. (laughs) You may be wondering why it took so long to write to you. Well, I usually don't write at all, and when I do, it is about six months between letters at least. But then again, I had lost your address, blah, 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 blah. Next line. The Lord reigns. Let the people rejoice. Yes, I'm still alive and battling on the front lines. Spiritual warfare isn't easy, but it is worth it. Just seeing Jesus will be the biggest reward. God has done wonders since that night on Castro Street six months ago. You think? (laughs) Drunk talking to me about his boyfriend. The Lord reigns? Let the... Okay, keep reading. What have I been through? You wouldn't believe it. The struggle is very, very hard. But God is greater than my struggles, and I'm learning that all things really do work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I'm beginning to praise God in my weakness. Guess what? I'm beginning to like women, and I have someone I'm beginning to care about. Pray for me in this area. Six months. That God would have his perfect will in this area of my life. Because I really don't want to get too far ahead of him. Also pray that God would keep me humble before him. As I said, the battle gets really hard sometimes. Love in Christ, David Bullock. P.S. Only Christ is the way out of gay. Now, I'm not telling you that. I'm reading a letter from somebody who would know. This is his testimony. And he is joined by millions of other men and women who come to Christ and limp in the right direction rather than going full bore in the wrong direction. Now, I hope you can see that it isn't just about one subject. It's about something as ingrained as a Roman centurion having blasphemed God in one breath, and then, boom, something happens. This guy (laughs) praising God. He's a new person. That's our story. That's what we're all about. That's what the gospel says. Gay or straight, rich or poor, a believer who grew up in the church just raised his hand last week, a believer, so-called believer, raised his hand, came to me and said, I've been raised in the church by Christian parents, I'm giving my heart to the Lord for the very first time last week. So, friend, I don't care if you're a moral, upright person, a religious person, a gay person, a straight person, and everything in between. This happened for you. And if you don't have this, no matter nothing else matters, you come to the table this morning to celebrate. The fact, no gay, straight, rich, poor, good guy, bad guy, none of that. None of that matters. Because if it did, if we could qualify, we wouldn't need that. This says, you're all on the same playing field. You need me. So, 
we celebrate. This is how we do communion here at Calvary Chapel of the Rock. If you are a Christian, it's an open invitation. We pass out first the, the bread, the symbol of his broken body, and then you hold that and wait until I pray over it, and then we eat together. Then there'll be a song, the cup. We take the cup and we hold that cup representing Jesus' blood. And then we drink the cup after I pray together. If you're uncomfortable for any reason about receiving communion, if you're not an official Christian, this is a bad thing for you. You have to wait until you become a Christian. Now, if you're sitting there and you say, I'm a seeker, but I really wish I could participate, bow your head, say the sinner's prayer, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, please save me, and now please, you're welcome to take communion with us. And also be baptized on March 6th at 3 o'clock. It's a basketball Christian. Because <laughs> that's sort of part of the deal. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, now thank you for these three miracles. The crucifixion. Thank you, Father, for your great love and demonstration. The whole anchor of the gospel. Your love demonstration, taking away the darkness, opening a way for us to be saved so that we, like the soldier, can praise God and be saved. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus, that Passover night, they celebrated a night early. They called it the Passover meal. Jesus was explaining the new covenant to the disciples. And he said, the Passover meal that counts now is what I'm going to do on the cross. And it's, remember me and what I did for you often, as often as you do, so your soul is secure. Make it like a meal to you what I did that sustains your physical body like a meal, but, but the cross will sustain you physically. But the symbol is of eating. You're eating what happened on the cross. And Jesus even said in John 6, it's like you're eating me, my body. The Jews got freaked out by that. Said, uh, this is a hard teaching, and most of them left. All he was trying to say is, what happened on the cross better be inside of you. You better ingest it. You better not just know all about it. It's got to give you life on the inside. You repent of what you're thinking and the secrets of your heart. It has to be an inward thing for you to be saved. Thus, the symbol of eating what happened on the cross. His broken body. It makes me alive. Not because I eat, because I trust. Father, thank you for the demonstration of a body God the Son, beaten beyond human recognition, as the scriptures say. For our sin, not for your own. Thank you for that broken body that says my body will never have to be broken like that or endure the wrath of God because you've paid. Thank you for the security we feel. We eat and remember what you did on our behalf, that investment that proves your great love for everybody in this room. We eat with glad hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Let's eat the bread. And now the cup.
you know, that nagging feeling in your conscience sometimes of being inadequate and knowing that you fall short morally. This is the answer to that. Jesus said, your salvation isn't up to you getting it altogether morally. You can't. That's why you have a Savior. This is the payment. Not your blood, not your good works, not your perfect thoughts or your perfect deeds. They fall short. They always will fall short. I want you to grow, but you can't qualify. This is the qualifier. So you can rest. You can breathe easy. We're friends. I'm not mad at anybody. Uh, His wrath remains on those who spurn the payment and the son. But if you come under his plan, he's not mad. He took it out on Jesus. This whole darkness, gone. Judgment, gone. We're friends. Come in. Spend time with me. Love you. Don't see a thing. Took your sins away. Took them away. Then he says, have a, have a meal and think about it. Celebrate. Remember your, my love for you. And that's what we do. Let me read. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, no clothes, poverty, danger, sword, war? No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loves, loved us, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the assurance that we have. In this reflective time, we've been just marveling, feeling our own inadequacies, confessing them to you, so glad we have a Savior, and that our secret sins will be covered. They're covered as we confess them. You said you're faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you ask is trust, and we do that this morning. So with happy and grateful hearts, as we confess all of our sins to you, Lord, our desperate need for you, we drink this cup which represents all that pain and agony on our behalf thank you jesus name amen drink the cup praise god let's stand together and sing with joy in your hearts to the lord closing song